So we are continuing our, our series called Pure Joy, where we're looking at the book of Philippians. And in Philippians, Paul consistently writes about joy. And hopefully you learn this if you learn nothing else from this series. So I'm going to start quizzing you at this point. In four chapters, how many times does Paul use joy? 16. Somebody said 16. You get an A. Uh, everyone else, study up. That's what I want you to learn. That 16 times in a book written from prison where Paul probably assumes that he's going to die, he writes about joy over and over and over again. How is that even possible? What does it look like for us to live with that type of joyous perspective, even at times when things seem a little bit uncertain? Uh, maybe to you this country seems divided. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's things that are going on um, in our world that would maybe rob you of your joy, what does it look like for you, for all of us collectively to live with joy? And Paul's going to get a little bit more specific and prescriptive this morning. And he says something at the, the outset that I think is really fascinating and something that we all, and I'm definitely including myself in this, could work on a bit. To begin, I'd like to have a little audience participation, though. You can just um, say something from your seat. If you had a friend who got baptized what would you say to him or her as she or he, as they are beginning their, their walk with Christ, what would you say is the important thing to do? What is just something? And there's not a wrong answer. I mean, there are wrong answers like outside of Christian things, but like, what are, what would you say is an important thing? Like you, you know, I'd encourage you to do what? Anybody just say something from your seat. Read the Bible. Okay. That's good. Keep the faith. Okay. Someone said pray. That's good. Love more, give, be joyous. That's some great stuff. I mean, these are all really, really good things and all things that if hopefully you have that opportunity, you get to be part of someone's baptism one day and be an encouragement as somebody begins their faith journey because we all hope that we get the opportunity to do that. And these are all really good answers, right? We could probably come up with 50 that we would say, you know, that's a really good answer. You know, if you want to walk with God from this moment on, this is probably what you should do. And it's interesting that Paul, as he begins this discussion, says something that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of first. So he says in Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, which Katie read for us earlier today, and we're going to stay on this slide for a while, Simon. I'll tell you, tell you when to go off it. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So he begins after we looked at the Christ hymn, which was just uh, looked at last week, as um, Paul writes about what Christ has done in his death. And he says, now I want you to, as you gather, as you continue to gather, you work out your salvation. And it's important, oftentimes in the New Testament, when you is being used, it's the southern word, y'all. He's saying it collectively, like everybody, you work out this together. So think of this as like, this is a, a church of people. Y'all need to work out your salvation to continue to pursue God. And this is what we do as a faith community. We come together because we worship. The reason we sing is we believe we worship a living God, right? And we take communion together week after week because we believe that that connects us to God. It reminds us of our forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. We get baptized because we believe that God has commanded that, that we submit our lives to him. We think about that as well. And so this is something that we all need to, to just think about and, and work on in our community together, that we aren't just here because it's our routine. 
And you know people, perhaps, if you uh, are a workout junkie like me, well, I'm not really that much of one, but I, I go to the gym from time to time. And as you're there trying to pump the irons like I do, there are some people who don't seem to be all that interested in working out. Like they're there, but they're not really there. And they're like talking and getting in your way and leaning on the machine that you want to go and use. And you're wondering, are you ever actually going to start to do this thing? And what are you actually doing here? And we can do the same thing at church, right? That it's just like, we're kind of here, we're in the midst, we're here week after week, but we're eating Twinkies every day, right? We're not really working on this. So Paul invites us to have a little bit of a different picture, you know, continue to work out that you, when you come together, again, I always talk about that my hope for all of us is that you wouldn't be struggling with the same sin 10 years from now that you are right now. That we are on a faith journey together, that we, like, it isn't just about life when you die, that we would be better people, like less angry people, less jealous people, less lustful people, more generous people because of what we do together. So Paul says that when you get together, make sure that you recognize that you are serving a living God. And it's just fascinating to see what he does in this text, because in Philippians chapter 1, we talked about how he writes a lot about his chains, the chains that he has and the chains that he's experiencing, but those things are going to advance the gospel. They're going to make a difference because God is even working in him as he's in prison. And then he writes the beautiful Christ hymn that we talked about last week, that there's a chance that the early church sang. And Philippians 2, 5 through 11, if you memorize only one part of scripture, that could be a great one because it talks about that Christ didn't try to grab for everything. He didn't live with like this sense that he had to make sure and get power over other people. Instead, Christ lived with open hands and was loving and willing to give power away. So he gives this beautiful picture of Christ. And then he says, and don't just pretend like God isn't in your midst. Continue to understand that you have some things to do. You participate in God's ongoing work in the world. And then he gives his like first major example where he says, and you should do this. Go ahead, Simon, if you go to that next slide for me. No, I should have more than that. Uh, no, if I'm still at Philippians. Back to Philippians. Is that not up there? I guess it's not up there. That's weird. Um, it's a big teaser for it not being up there. Um, so I'll, I'll read it even though it's not up there. Uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing. You guys had better answers than that, right? And read your Bible. Be joyful. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I got to say, I've been in ministry here for about 10 years. I've worked in churches for a long time, and church people can be pretty good at complaining. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. I'm including myself in that. There's a comedian who does a lot of work on the church, and his name is John Christ, and he went and looked up church Google reviews, because you can go on Google and you can review churches just like anything else. Please don't review ours unless you're giving us five stars. But um, it, you can go on to, like, church Google reviews. And so he was skimming through some of these. And here are a few of the examples that he found. Um, the worship leader looked like he just got done mowing the yard, which thank you, Philip, for dressing up a little more than that. I was disappointed. This is, this is a church called a church with no walls. And the person said, I was disappointed. There were many walls there. The name is misleading, but it was cool. Uh, 
Another one-star review. Other people made fun of me and called me a satanist for wanting to learn Latin. And John Chris says in his video, you probably should learn English first before um, you transition to Latin and learn how to spell satanist. Uh, got bored quick. The message was too monotone and screamy for me, which is a little weird because I feel like that's how it's two different things, right? I, like monotone and screamy seem like different things. So I don't really understand. And the paninis were terrible, which... I don't know, maybe this was just on accident. Maybe this church actually did have paninis and they weren't good. I, I'm not really exactly sure. He goes through these one-star reviews and he just thinks about the fact that Christians can sometimes be pretty good at complaining. And that might be true of us. I just think that's generally true of humanity, that we're pretty good at complaining. And that even goes back to the Old Testament. Because as Paul writes to this church. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining. And as we've talked about with Paul, when he writes, he was somebody who was on his way to being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He likely would have had large portions because in that time you memorized large portions of the Old Testament. And so when he uses words, it isn't just like he's pulling words out of the air. He's using words that would have helped people to think about, okay, when was that word used before? And so the word grumbling that is used here, anybody who would have had some decent working knowledge of the Old Testament would think of the story of the Exodus. Because the Israelites are released from slavery and they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, which is a really, really long time. And they are, are going through this experience and as they're going through it, they're not always all that happy. So an example of this in Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So they're saying, we long for what it was like to be slavery. We were in slavery, and now that you've brought us out, we long to be back in it, and they're yearning for pots of meat. Things are pretty bad when you're dreaming of spam. But that's what's happening here. They're yearning because at least there we had some meat to eat every once in a while. So they grumble against Moses and Aaron. The Hebrew language is actually pretty small. Not that it's easy to learn, but it's pretty small. There's 6,000 words in Hebrew. For example, English, the most recent Oxford Dictionary had 171,000 words. So the Hebrew language is very small. But of those 6,000 words, there's five different words for complaining. You have to be very nuanced in how you explain complaining. So it's not just us that can struggle with complaining from time to time. And it's definitely not just people outside the church. Even our brothers and sisters, as they wandered in Egypt, they complained. Here's something that I have seen in, in my ministry. People who are unhappy with our church, and they often will, will say things or, or complain. And I'm not saying this is like worse than our church in any other place. In fact, actually, I think we do pretty well on this. But one thing that I've noticed about people who are unhappy about church and are willing to like just say things or offer complaints is that they're often unhappy in other parts of life too. 
Like, it's not just like, oh, for this one hour, like everything else is perfect, but then we come together and it's like, oh, now it gets really bad. They're generally unhappy with their job, their marriage. It's like this way of complaining isn't just for this one thing or this one time or this one gathering. Someone who complains here generally complains everywhere. I think Paul is saying that is a dangerous way to live. Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think we sometimes just disregard that. We think our words don't matter all that much, partly because we're able to just send words very easily now. We think they're not all that valuable or important. But Jesus says, guard what you're saying. Because what's coming out of here is from what's in here. And again, if you were able to just compartmentalize and just, you know, just complain about a certain part of something, then that might be healthy and helpful. I don't know that it would be all that helpful. But generally, like if you complain about one thing, you're a complainer about everything. And we can start to think that the grass is always greener on the other side. But the problem is when you get to the grass that's green, you mess it up. One thing that I've learned in my life is it's never helped me. It's not a helpful process. And again, I struggle with this also as well, but complaining about someone has never helped the situation to someone else. Saying something about them or bringing them down or questioning their motives, like complaining about someone to someone else hasn't ever helped fix a problem. Generally, it just makes my heart worse. It makes my heart more closed to that person conversations with someone about things that we would want to improve perhaps together, those have actually helped. But having complaints behind the scenes, they haven't really helped at all. And generally what happens if you start to complain and grumble and you start to have that perspective, you end up going on like these different tracks and you end up like so far apart from this person and you start to see them in a negative light. And again, the problem isn't just that this can happen in our faith communities. It affects every part of your life. And do you really want to live like that? What a horrible way to live your life. There are stories that go along with the uh, Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Jewish rabbis have written stories that are called Midrash. And Midrash are, are stories that didn't actually happen in the scriptures, but are stories that help sometimes to illustrate the stories of scripture. And it's really fascinating because you kind of get a glimpse into how some of the earliest Jewish communities would have read some of these texts. And so in some of the explanation, Midrash of the Old Testament, they tell a story about um, two slaves who are walking across as the Red Sea is parted. These slaves are finally free and they're walking and they aren't hungry yet, so they shouldn't be necessarily too mad about that, but they are walking across. This should be a moment of total celebration. And as they're walking across, these two slaves are complaining to each other about the the dirt that's getting in between their toes. It's kind of hard to walk on this. It's a little bit of a a rocky terrain. Who knew all the stuff that was down here? And they're just complaining to each other and they're missing the walls of water that are all around them. I think if we're not careful, this is how we can live. 
that if we focus on the negative, if we focus on the things that just need improvement, if we're always complaining and, and saying stuff and just having like backroom comments, instead of just talking to people, bringing it out into the open and moving forward in helpful ways, we often can be the people who just focus on the negative instead of thinking how we can move forward. And again, this is just pretty unbelievable to me that when Paul gets prescriptive and specific, this is what he talks about. And you all had great ideas. Like, you know, you should go to church. You should read your Bible. All the things that you guys said, those are wonderful ideas. But I think Paul is getting at something here. That if you can get at the root of complaining, then you can be someone who worships God better all the time. And he says something fascinating. He says, then you will shine. Starting in verse 15, you will shine like stars in the sky. And what a beautiful concept, right? That you can shine like stars in the sky. And then he says, and again, he's on his deathbed. He's thinking about what might be happening and what's going to be happening next. And he says, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't labor in vain. This wasn't a waste of my time. This wasn't a waste of my life because of how you guys didn't complain. This is how much this matters. And I think increasingly, and this mattered to Paul's generation, but I think it matters perhaps even more to ours. This may be a way that we can be more distinct as Christians than in any other way, because our world is just an increasingly catered experience, where you get to have what you want, and you get to have it very personalized, you get to enjoy the world as you would want to have it. If you're listening to a Pandora radio station or if you're listening to Spotify and there comes a song on that you don't like, you can just hit the thumbs down, right? And that song just goes away. You can thumbs down Beethoven. You can thumbs down the Beatles. You can thumbs down Third Eye Blind. I just wanted to put that in. Like Those three, like that's the next logical step. See, I'm not saying that perhaps you shouldn't be able to do thumbs up or thumbs down, but sometimes I think the thing should be able to talk back to you and say, you have horrible musical taste or something. Like, if you're, if you're going to thumbs down that one, like, it's okay. You don't, you don't, but you have to realize, like, you have no taste in music at all if you're going down this road. And it's not just our musical taste that we have this. Our world just is an increasingly, like, self-catered experience. And it becomes about my preferences, my desires, the things that I would want. And so again, I think we have an ability, maybe perhaps more than ever, to shine like stars if we would just live for something greater than ourselves. If we wouldn't, every time something goes wrong or every time we have an issue or something, just just grumble or complain to someone, whether it's at work or whether it's about your spouse or whatever it is, if we had a different perspective, then I truly believe, church, that we could shine like stars. Because I get it that our world just keeps telling you, like, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. But if we connect to a deeper story, I believe there's great blessing in that. Studies have shown that there are links between being part of a church community and living longer. There are links to being part of a church community where you don't always get your way and you don't get the things exactly as you would want them, and that helps you to live longer. 
we could shine like stars if we could live more in this way. To understand that our lives are about us being poured out as a blessing, basically, to bless other people. Where we don't focus so much on our own likes and dislikes. This summer, I I thought it was interesting, um, one of the Sundays that I talked about the the transition that we were making as a church to include instruments in our worship. And I'm very thankful, especially today, to see the the talent that we have. I'm thankful for Emily on the keys. She's always amazing uh, when when she plays for us. It's just a blessing. But as I was talking about that, and I've said before, and I'm going to keep saying that those of you who have been part of our church, even though you're struggling with that, please talk to me, let me know. And I'm just thankful that you have continued to be here because I know that it's a change. But as I did one of the sermons on that one Sunday, I was um, walking to uh, the grocery store uh, that afternoon, and I saw this bumper sticker on someone's car. I love the old Latin mass. And I just thought... Church people are church people, right? The decision to make mass uh, in the language of the people, wherever it happened to be, was in 1969. And there are places where you can Google and like find where they still do, do the Latin mass. And I'm glad that person feels passionate enough to put it on the bumper sticker. But again, that decision was made in 1969. And you can choose to live that way in all ways, not, not just when it comes to worship, in all ways. You can choose to think about whatever it is that you're participating in and think about how it used to be better. Or think about how, you know, your, your spouse would be so much better if he or she could just do these five things. Or your friend could be so much better if this would just be fixed. Or work would be so much better if you got that promotion or you were just treated better. I love how author... Um, Erwin Lautner says this, or Lutzer, I mean, uh, he says, have you ever thought that our disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our lives that must be dealt with? If you want to be really brave this week, ask someone close to you about your typical complaints. Someone who really knows you, who hears you talk a lot, you have conversations with regularly. Would you be brave enough to ask him or her, what is it? I complain about a lot. Do you complain a lot about your financial situation? Maybe money has become a little bit too important to you. Do you complain about a lack of respect in the office? Maybe what other people think about you matters more than it should. Would you be brave enough to ask someone close to you, what is it that I complain about? And I readily admit, I, I raise my hand, this is something that I, I need work on. I think we all could, could work on this because this is something I feel like that we're all going to fall into, that there's a, a line that sometimes we want to try to improve things, but we can fall into that trap. But one thing that I think Paul teaches us in his life and his ministry is that contentment is a choice. If you find yourself in a dark prison cell, unsure about what's going to happen with your life, And you write with unbelievable joy. Contentment is a choice. And do you want joy? Do you want pure joy in your life? You aren't going to get it by more complaining. I love how 
the office says this. I tried to find the clip, but it wasn't online, so I'll just try to try to explain it to you. Uh, Andy Bernard, who's one of my favorite characters on The Office. Uh, how many Office fans are there in here? Lots, some good, some fans. Um, and The Office is just a completely dysfunctional office. It's just a terrible situation. Just a complete train wreck. The people who are in charge are like petulant children. It's just a, a complete disaster of an office. There are reasons for these people to have complaints. I mean, they're, 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 there's definite issues that are going on. It's a dysfunctional mess. On the finale episode, this character, Andy Menard, says, I wish there was a way to know when you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. I think of that quote often. I wish there was a way to know. One way that I would say you could actually know is by not complaining. By looking for the good in what's happening in your midst. By seeing the presence of God at the walls of water are around you. And yeah, there's dirt between your toes. There's some things that's never going to be perfect. Your job's not going to be perfect. Your friends aren't going to be perfect. Your church isn't going to be perfect. None of those things are going to be perfect. But what if there's a way to know that you're in the good old days before you've actually left them? What if there's a way to live into the reality that God is present and in our midst. We're going to sing the song, Good, Good Father, in just a minute. So I'd ask the the worship team to come down. And those serving communion, if you could uh, head to the back as we'll be sharing in communion in just a moment. But I want you this week to think about the things that you typically complain about. Because there are things that we all can focus on and we can think about the negative, but it doesn't really get us anywhere. One of the things that I love about the ministry of Paul, if you read the New Testament, it's basically about one major problem after the Gospels. The major problem is how do we get Gentiles and Jews to worship together? And how do you figure that out? Because it's very complicated. How do you recognize that there's this faith that has been around for a long time and all of a sudden some of these new people are coming in? And Paul writes passionately about that. Almost every New Testament letter has some, some big power-packed thoughts about what that looks like in community, that walls are going to be broken down. And so Paul writes about that with great passion and with great vision. You know, Paul didn't see very much of that in his life. There were some glimpses that he had where Gentiles and Jews got together. There were some times where he was able to see it just a little bit. But he didn't see it all that profoundly in his life. But the thing that I recognize in Paul that I want to live out myself is that Paul died with big dreams. He died with big dreams for the church. With big hopes for what God is doing in the world. And that is a beautiful way to die that your dreams for the world are intact. May we live in that way, to understand that that is a good life, to be connected to real joy, to not look at the negative things that are in our world and constantly focus on those because they're going to be there. But may we instead choose to dream big for the world because that truly is the best way to live. 
that we could shine like stars. Examples for other people who would look at us and say, wow, you don't complain the way everybody else does. You don't look for negative stuff like everyone else. Why is it that you just have this hopeful perspective? Why is it that you're not talking down about that person? Why is it that you have a different sort of presence in our neighborhood or at work? Church, may we shine like stars and dream big the way that Paul does. We're going to take a communion right now and as they're passing the trays, we'll pass the bread and then the cup after I pray. But as we take this together, may we recognize the ways that we need to invite God's big dreams once again into our lives. Let's pray.